Hey everybody, hope this podcast finds you safe and healthy. Welcome to the fourth episode of the With Podcast. This is a place where we are trying to wrap our head, heart, and hands around doing one singular aspect of being, with. With in all its various forms, with God, with others, and with ourselves. I, I want to continue our conversation around caring for ourselves. Caring for ourselves, not, not because others aren't doing it, we're being rudely neglected, or the evil and darkness of our current world doesn't afford for such compassionate niceties, though some of that may be our reality to a measure. The conversation of, of caring for oneself I find to be important because I'm the only one who has ultimate access to myself. You are the only person who has ultimate access to yourself, body, soul, and spirit. These uh, three parts of us are experienced in our desires, our hungers, our wishes, our needs, our wants, fill in the blank. And you're the only one who feels those things. Others can sense and perceive. At best, they can piece together a good possibility. But we, we are the ones who have the greatest chance at a clarion perspective on ourselves and subsequent passage to a healthy future for ourselves. I don't want to communicate we always know exactly where we are. I mean, when I was younger, I used to sleepwalk on a regular basis. I would roam around the house. My parents would find things done, open, not the way that they left them because I was thinking about doing things as I was sleeping and walking around the house. One time in particular, I don't remember it, but I remember people talking about it and telling me this story. My, my family and I had flown to England, and we were staying at a friend's house of my father's, an editor for his books. And she uh, had graciously let us sleep in the house, and we were all there together in different rooms. And um, this was a normal time for me to sleepwalk because I was a little bit discombobulated. I had lots of thoughts going around that we came to figure out. So I was a youngster. I was in second or third grade. And around two or three in the morning, this woman whose house we were staying in got up to get a drink of water. She came back to her bed at like two or three in the morning and found me sleeping in the bed. Because I had gotten up at the same time, was walking around the house, roaming around the house, and ended up in her bed. <laughs> Much the same way, we don't always know where we ourselves are. I love the Psalms because they often give verbiage to what I'm feeling, though I can't communicate it. The psalmist writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's almost as if he's speaking to another person. And it's not another person. He's speaking to a different part of himself. We have physical selves that need care and attention. We also have mental and emotional selves that desperately need consideration, scrutiny, and care. There are physiological ingredients, to be sure, meaning pieces and parts that overlap. What food we eat dictates how we feel, and how we feel dictates what food we eat. I mean, let's just pause there for a second. Can we digest that, for lack of a better phrase? What food we eat often dictates how we feel. And how we feel dictates what food 
we eat. And I'm not just talking about healthy food and unhealthy food. And when you had that whole cake, I remember when I was at Virginia Tech, my friends and I came to the realization, hey, mom and dad aren't here to tell us what to eat. So we went to Kroger. We decided dinner time was going to be ice cream and cake. And so we each bought a full size cake and a gallon of ice cream. Suffice it to say, we didn't feel great after we ate quote unquote dinner. What I'm talking about is depending on our mood, we eat in certain things. Depending on how good we're feeling or how bad we're feeling, we may not eat or we may indulge ourselves. Celebrations, we eat certain foods. In times of stress, we eat certain foods. There are so many articles and people discussing, even in this coronavirus circumstance, what stress is doing to our, our, our food and what we eat and our diets. Nighttime for me is, is difficult. There isn't a night that goes by that I don't want to, at 10.30, call up Papa John's and order some meat lover's pizza that would absolutely destroy me, body, soul, and spirit. What food we eat dictates how we feel, and how we feel dictates what food we eat. Exercise, scientists say, has the same effect as antidepressants. Getting out in the sun has a huge effect on our physical and emotional health. Moving our body actually causes movement to who we are as a person at the soul level. The consumption of water, replenishing what the majority of our bodies is made of, makes us feel better. A large number of people who are clinically diagnosed as fatigued are actually really just thirsty. My point in saying all of this is that one cannot separate body, soul, spirit. We can't separate those things out completely. They're not contained in nice, neat, and labeled Tupperware boxes. They spill over on each other constantly. Mental and emotional health has become more talked about in recent years, but it lags in metrics and attention. People toss around BMI and diseases and illnesses of the body. Gyms are abundant. These things are outworkings of thinking about, talking about, and caring for the physical. Of course, those things roll over and spill over into our emotional mental health as well, but they are initiated by physical conversations. The best we often do these days is mutter about a therapist, or maybe we talk about getting a counselor, or we kind of whisper that I would love to talk to somebody, and maybe think about such intervention. We may get prescribed medicine, and I'm all for medicines, but understand they address a symptom without ever perhaps touching the root. It's just so interesting to me, and I do believe in getting some medicines to work through emotional seasons and however long those seasons are, but the fact that you're grieving the loss of a loved one or we are in a very difficult season and there are very real emotional stressors and anxieties that come from that, yes, a pill and medicine can help us navigate and, f- and feel more stable. But it's going to be treating the symptom. Grief isn't a problem. A hard season isn't a problem necessarily to fix. As much as grief is something we feel, we discuss, we talk about, and we, we move through, much like the season that we find ourselves in. I love the passage of scripture where Jesus goes on one of his healing tirades, for lack of a better phrase. It's in Mark chapter 5, and he's healing this one, he's healing that one, and even in the midst of going from one healing to another, he's interrupted by a woman with the issue of blood. 
And this woman has tried so many different things and she is physically ill. And it says that she reaches out and touches Jesus. Jesus feels the issue, uh, the healing passed from him to another person. And he says, hey, who touched me? And it's interesting because the woman has been healed. What is Jesus trying to communicate here? She has been physically healed. She realizes that it's happened. Immediately the, it dries up and she has made whole. And he cries out and says, hey, who touched me? And she finally comes and says, you did. You touched me. I'm the one. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus, on the front side, didn't need to do anything else. She has been physically healed, but he presses the issue. Why? Because his declaring to her, daughter, this woman in this physical malady had been isolated had been ostracized from community, in no short order had not been spoken to, not been touched affectionately. And in that moment, yes, there's a physical healing, but Jesus wanted to do a deeper healing and so calls her daughter, refers to her lovingly, engages intimacy. He's doing a deeper mental, emotional work than just the physical. He's going from one Tupperware box of who she is to another Tupperware box of who she is. Every day and in all seasons, I think we need to take advantage of the ultimate access we have to ourselves and care for our soul. The mind, the mind filled with all of its thoughts that create narratives and truths in our heads that might not be truth in reality. Our will, the wear and tear of making decisions and going about our days, even when the quote-unquote normal exists, but our will gets tired making all of those choices. The, The wear and tear, again, I just said that, but I just picture the car tire of our will rolling and rolling and rolling. These emotions that lead us to and fro, I think that if we honor the authority God has handed over to us, let me say that again, I think that if we honored the authority God has handed over to us, we would sing more. Like the old hymn declares, even in the midst of circumstances, it is well with my soul. So how do we do that? I want to talk briefly about three different things. Rest, rhythm, and resemblance. I have found that people take, or at least try to take, all of the Ten Commandments with some measure of seriousness. All but number four. Especially as we're ensconced in our Western Hemisphere, American mindset where hard work, long hours, financial bonuses, late nights at the office are rewarded and revered. Things like, hey, when the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Those mantras fill our society. I'm not here to downplay a strong work ethic or or sing the praises of being lazy. In fact, it's one of the only times that we see God name call in Scripture. You, You wicked and lazy servant, he says at least more than once. I'm just trying to highlight the core truth and our Creator's commandments to creation. Recall the Ten Commandments are given to us in Exodus chapter 20. And Exodus is, yes, the story of the nation of Israel going from bondage to breakthrough and freedom. But taken more in its essence, Exodus is how we are all to transition from bondage to breakthrough and freedom. So these commandments were not just for the Israelites as they were wandering the desert and looking for the promised land, 
out of Egypt, Exodus and these commandments are given to us in our bondages, in our habits, in our patterns, in our false selves, so that we can reach out and become who God has intended for us to be. The fourth commandment is the one that I'm speaking to. Why do I center down on that? Just for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, it's the longest commandment. I mean, God obviously you wanted to get at something. It's the only commandment that contains a blessing. It's the only commandment that says, hey, remember. Remember maybe because we're often privy to forget it. Or I would suggest that we are we think that we don't need it. We, we want to forego it. But regardless, it's the only commandment that says, remember this. And finally, this fourth commandment takes a fulcrum position. The first three commandments dictate a person's, or speak to rather, a person's relationship with God. Then you have the fourth commandment, and the remaining commandments all deal with people's relationships with one another. So simply by the fourth commandment, holding that fulcrum position where everything else turns, I think it I think it demands a more focused attention. Rest, according to God, is important. Honoring the Sabbath, stopping is not a choice we can take or leave. Apparently, it is how God made us to be. Rhythm. Whether or not you can dance, and I can't, I think I developed a dance move called the lawnmower. You kind of act like you're pulling the cord three times and then you go about your way. (laughs) I can't dance. But regardless of that, we've all got rhythm. Have you ever seen someone really get after it on the dance floor who's got no rhythm? I mean, think, remember, you know that time at your prom or that formal you went to or a wedding where someone, for whatever reason, threw their better used inhibitions out the window and just started to groove? I mean, <laughs> those times are amazing. And it's not that they lack a groove. They got groove. The problem, of course, comes in the groove they have not being aligned to the groove the music has. Are you with me? There's a beat. It's not just it's just not the one everyone else is hearing and feeling. I mean, it's painful. I mean, as you're listening to this, you're probably laughing to yourself remembering a circumstance or a time when that happened. As an aside, if you can't remember ever seeing something like that, it's because you were the one who didn't have the right groove. Nonetheless, when those types of moments happen, they can be really painful. You can almost feel the disturbance in the force. Humans were made in rhythm. We were placed in rhythm. When you read the Genesis narrative of the the creation narrative, God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters. There were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God called 
God saw that it was good. And it goes on from there. And the evening and the morning and the third day. And the evening and the morning and the fourth day. And the evening and the morning and the fifth day. And so on and so forth. We were made in rhythm. And then we were placed in rhythm as humans were placed in a garden that has seasons, it has times, it has movements. It's one of the reasons why we are so drawn to remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that describes there's a time and a season, and there's a time and there's a season. We like rhythm. And the reason we like rhythm is because we were made in rhythm. We were placed in a rhythm. The essence of it resonates with our deepest self. As an aside, this is why 1 Corinthians 15.33 is so important. Bad morals corrupt good habits because when your rhythm presses up against another rhythm, when your groove presses up against another groove, oftentimes those things can become discombobulated and find something else. So we have to be careful what rhythms we are giving our soul to. Jesus even himself proves and lives in a rhythm. He preaches and he teaches and he retreats. He preaches and he teaches and he heals and he retreats. To the rest, yes, but also honoring and acknowledging a rhythm. When we get out of rhythm or press against the rhythm of a different season, it's like breakdancing to a waltz. This is why habits are so hard to break. This is why it's so difficult to start something new, because we're already in a rhythm. It might be amusing to some to try and break dance to a waltz, but it doesn't work. It hurts, and more than hurting, it can cause injury. Resemblance. This one's going to hurt because it's, it's just hard. Very simply, in caring for our souls... We would all be well served if we resembled ourselves. Be someone who resembles you. Be someone who resembles you. This isn't automatic. It takes effort, attention, ultimate access, which again, mercifully, we have. We have that ultimate access. There is nothing wrong with gleaning wisdom from others. Being mentored. I believe everybody should be mentored. Everybody should have voices speaking into their lives. Taking lessons from what others say and do is critical, but we have to make sure it leads us to becoming ourselves. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I think too often we discuss that truth and that invitation of Jesus as if we need to get rid of ourselves, but the ultimate goal here is that Jesus would have us to not lose who we are, not forfeit who we really are. I remember different seasons of my life trying to figure out, who am I? Maybe you've uttered those words to yourself, who am I? When I stepped into the role of lead pastor, serving as a lead pastor was something I'd never entertained. 
I went to school. I wanted to be a National Geographic photojournalist. I shifted gears. I became a teacher. Then I came on staff at the church, and I was a, a janitor, assistant to the administrator. Then I helped serve in the student ministry. I helped serve in children ministry. I helped serve in, in the worship ministry. And one thing led to another, an open door after open door. I ended up finding myself in a place of serving as a lead pastor, having no desire to do that, having no, I thought, functional capacity or gifting. Others saw things in me. I saw another open door that I could walk into, but I I wasn't trained in this. I didn't know what this looked. The only example I had was my father-in-law. And so I remember as I stepped into the role of lead pastor at the church, I tried to preach like he preached. I tried to tell stories like he told stories. I tried to meet with people like he met with people. The problem, of course, is I'm not him and he isn't me. Not only did it not feel right, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy for me and it wasn't healthy for anybody else. Another example is our oldest son, Asa. Asa started playing basketball because he was the tallest kid in sixth grade. And so being right-handed, I started teaching him how to shoot right-handed, how to do things right-handed. And it just didn't feel right to him. He's like, Dad, this, this just isn't working. And he was right. It, it wasn't working. He honestly wasn't very good at shooting. But he was tall, and you can't teach height. So he excelled in some regard. But he just kept working and thinking and, and, and trying this and trying that. And finally, he looked at me one day and said, Dad, I'm just going to shoot left-handed. And I looked at him and I thought, this is going to be a horrible idea because he's right-handed. He's my son. I'm right-handed. I shoot right-handed. Certainly he shoots right-handed and he's not very good. And this left-handed thing can't turn out well, but okay. And he worked and he tried and he planned and he prepared. And you know what? My son has become a phenomenal basketball player. And every time he goes to shoot a foul shot or a three-pointer or a jump shot or anything, he goes up with his left hand and my initial remark is, no, but it works because guess what? He shoots left-handed. That's who he is. And it took a lot of work and effort to figure that out. But now it's smooth as silk. Now it seems natural, but don't be dismayed in that the natural things take effort. I remember when Jude was seven years old and he looked at me and said, Dad, I want to play baseball. I never played baseball. You don't play baseball. I played softball, co-ed softball, one season, and I was not good. You're my son. That's not what you do. That's not what you look like. And Jude did not relent. He's a grinder. He said, no, Dad, I want to play baseball. And that kid is stupid good at baseball. Everybody looks at him. He's a natural. And I kind of scoff and I'm like, natural? That kid works so hard at it. The other day before this whole thing shut down baseball fields, I was throwing him batting practice. Do you know that Jude hit a ball 285 feet in the air? I can't hit a ball 285 feet in the air. Anybody who wants to take note, Yankee Stadium, the right field line is 314 feet. My 11-year-old son is just 29 feet away from a home run in a major league ballpark. And I looked at him and said, nah, I don't know you if you want to play baseball because that's not what I think you can do. Being someone who resembles you is a journey. 
I encourage you to the invitation that Jesus gives to follow him. Be careful of vacuums. When you're trying to find out who you are, absolutely glean from other people. Yes, receive information and teaching. But be aware and careful of vacuums. Just because someone is passionate about something, don't be vacuumed into that passion unless you are really passionate about it. Don't be sucked into the vacuum of productivity because that person has uh, an ethic and a habit and a pattern that works for them. Don't be frustrated or disappointed that that productivity doesn't carry over to how you do it. Be careful of the vacuum of energy level. Maybe you just don't have as much energy as the other person or that type of a person. And you know what? That's fine. Be someone who resembles you. This is a different season. It's not normal. And when things, quote unquote, get back to normal, it will undoubtedly be a new normal. Maybe... Just maybe we could use this turbulent time where we're all forced to to do different and find someone who resembles ourselves more than before. I'd encourage you, invest some rest. Invest in an honoring of rhythm. And find someone in yourself who truly does resemble you. We love you so much. We're praying for you. We hope this podcast and things that we're doing here at Life Church are, are proving to be beneficial and helpful to you. Let me leave you all with a benediction. Now may you, in the way of our Christ, go, be with and care for yourself as God cares for and is with you. We love you so much.